Good morning. I, uh, it's great to be with you today. For those of you who don't know, I'm, my name is Todd Ken. I'm one of the elders here. I, I'm also a political science professor at Texas A&M, and you're probably going, wow, we can have a uh, political science professor preaching today. I was telling Aaron earlier that it, if I would have known that we were having a guest preacher today, I wouldn't have come. <laughs> in, in fact, it's a, it's a kind of a common knowledge among faculty members, you never tell your students that you're going to be out and there's going to be a guest lecturer that day because they, that's a code word for I don't have to be there. But I will tell you, you are responsible for everything I say today on the next exam. Okay, so you're not, you're not out of the woodwork yet. Um, we're going to talk about Job today. And I, I've, been, I've been thinking a lot about the wisdom literature in the, in the Bible. In fact, the last time I preached, I think I, I preached on Proverbs and the importance of, of Proverbs. And uh, I started thinking about Job, especially in light of what we've seen around the world every day. So you, get, you, turn on the, you, you look at the news, you see, you see things that are hard to understand. I, I, I point to the, the, the shooting in Nashville where at the, at, the, at the church where six people lost their lives needlessly. They, and and uh, sort of think, well, how does this happen? And as we, as we look at Job, we, we see some of the same things where, where, where Job was asking why. Why? Why was this happening to me? And I think we ask those things also. And I think what we're going to find today is it's okay to ask why. It's okay to lament. In fact, uh, my wife has been telling me, uh, we've been talking a lot about the lamenting that went on in, the, in Scripture. And Lamentations and Habakkuk and other places where you see this, people asking the question why, and it's okay as we struggle and wrestle with our relationship with the Lord. So I, I, um, I uh, hope today that you'll find something you can take home with you that'll be a, a blessing um, to you. Let's pray. Father, bless this word. May your word go forth and pray that you would write this word on our hearts not our heads, but our hearts, Father, that our lives would be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. So the, the, the title, the, the answer to why is found in whom. And I think that, uh, let me just say that uh, I hope that you're a visitor, that you'll come back and hear our pastor, John Ferguson. He's amazing. And I'm certainly not a worthy substitute. In fact, he's, a, he's an amazing preacher. And I don't claim to be a preacher, more of a teacher. I think that's why I'm, I, I work at Texas A&M. But I hope that, that today, that, well, that the end of the day, that the, if you take one thing away from it, is this, is that um, we can, our, our answers, our, our, our why questions are answered in the person of Jesus Christ, in God the Father, who, who we, can, we can, even though we may never understand fully uh, the answer, that's our, where our comfort comes, is, is, is the Lord himself. Um, if you look, should be on the screen, yeah, there we go. You can see the, uh, this is a tapestry that Corey Tenboom hung in her house. In fact, Brent and I were in uh, the Netherlands. We went to the Tenboom's house, and you can see this, this tapestry. And, and on the right, you can see that it's just beautiful, um, well done, this crown. But, on the other, but if you turn the tapestry over, that's what it looks like. And this is really what our world looks like, um, is that God sees the upper side, 
we see the underside. We can't understand how it all goes together, but God, when, in his wisdom, when he looks down on it, sees the, the crown on the right. It's all together. In fact, if you go, if you look at uh, this poem that she wrote, let me read it. It says, my life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colors. He weaveth steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride forget he sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. He knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing this truth can dim. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. And Corey Ten Boom. I love that. He sees the upper and I the underside. And that's really the message that we get from Job is that at the end of Job, when God is explaining things to Job and challenging the thinking that Job has, what Job comes to understand is, look, I am looking top down and you're looking from bottom up. We can learn a lot from that as we go through this. Um, putting Job into perspective. This is, this is not what a preacher does. This is what a teacher does. It's kind of give you, this is what we're going to learn through this study. Job is most emphatically a believer a worshiper, a man who fears God and turns from evil. And we're going to see why that's important in just a second. He suffers because he is a worshiper, and this is the logic of chapters 1 and 2, is that he's being tested because he's a worshiper. The book of Job is about undeserved suffering, the trials of a man who belongs to God and trusts God. This is, I think, the hardest thing that we have as, as, as human beings is, is something we see that's not deserved. That, that's something that there's why the, the six um, that lost their lives in Nashville, they just went to, to church that day, to the day school, and, and lost their lives. Undeserved. And I think that's hard for us. Let's see what Job can tell us, or can shed, what light Job can shed uh, for us on that particular situation. The book is profoundly... The, the book profoundly foreshadows the gospel as the undeserved sufferings of Job prefigure the sin-bearing sufferings of Jesus. Job is a Jesus-like character in that uh, according to the, to, to the message of Job, it was undeserved suffering in the same way with our Savior, Jesus Christ. We learn from the errors of Job's friends much about what religion looks like when it has morality but no gospel. We should be warned about the cruelty and emptiness of such religion. And finally, Job helps us to see how our sufferings can lead us into sin as we rail against God and begin to speak and think as though we knew better than God how to govern the world. Sometimes in our anger, and our, uh, when we, we, we we're asking the why questions, we begin to question God and we question his authority and God doesn't know what he's doing. And that's really, we know that that's the, the sinful position to take. And this is what happens to Job. And then later in, uh, we see where God uh, begins to correct him. Okay, this is what we're going to talk about today. Job is a very simple book. The first of, book, uh, the, first of the book is like a, is a, a two-chapter prologue. At the end of the book is uh, two to four chapters, depending on how you divide it up, epilogue. And in the middle is lots of Hebrew, pro, Hebrew poetry and speeches. In fact, it's hard to read. 
if you've ever read, read Job, you get to that middle part, you just, you just start wading through it and going into argument. Job says something, then his friends say something, and it goes on for a long time, and a lot of it's poetry. In fact, I was reading one commentary that said that to, to really understand it, you need to read it aloud, that part of it, because it, it, was, it, was, it was spoken. So here's what we're going to do in the next few minutes. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the background of Job. What did Job say? What did his friends say? What did God say? And then what can we take away from this? Let's go. Let's move forward. This is from uh, the first 10 verses of Job, and then we'll use this as our foundation, and then we'll build upon that. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. If you look at that word, feared God and turned away from evil, it's, it's mentioned three times in the book of Job about Job. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. What it's saying is that Job was a very wealthy man. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, meaning his birthday, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. He would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Job, Job was a righteous man. He, he, it, it, he would do a, a burnt offering for his children in case they sinned. Moving on. Now there was a day when the Son of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, where, From where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro the earth, and from walking up and down on it. On it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? A blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Now, Satan says this. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house at all he, and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased, increased in the land. So the question that the accuser, Satan, is asking is, Does he just fear you? Because you protected him. And then we see the story of Job, where God allows the accuser to, to, to work in Job's life or to, to present difficulties in Job's life to see what would happen. Okay. This, you can see the, the, the art. I found this artwork on the, on, the, on the web. This is an artist from England who, who does cartoons about biblical stories, and I thought they were amazing, so I decided to, to use them today. You can see here, this is, this is Job um, before the accuser has come at him. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name is Job, and that man was blameless and upright, who feared God and turned away from evil, going about his daily, his daily life. And then we see here Job presenting uh, the sacrifices on behalf of his children and his family in case they sinned. Okay, and again, we see uh, the scripture saying that he, he's blameless and upright, who fears God and turns away from evil. 
But then, as you, as you study Job, we see what happens. That um, as the accuser of Satan, as we know him today, but uh, many, many uh, translations use the word accuser because that's what kind of the, the role that was being played at the time. We see here uh, that Job has lost all his family, all his possessions, and his personal health. He's, uh, in fact, he, uh, in chapter 3, we kind of read about Job's, uh, Job's lament. Uh, Job does not curse God, as Satan said he would, but he curses this day, the day of his birth. He said, why was I even born? He doesn't curse God, though. Job's curse becomes a sad lament dominated by the question, why? Why was I born? Wouldn't it have been better if I had remained in the ground? Why me? You know, why, why, why? Isn't that the way we, we do when we see tragedy? Why is this happening? Maybe it's in your life. Maybe it's in somebody else's life. So the story of Job is that, that um, Job has lost all his possessions. He's lost his, 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 his children. He's lost his wealth. And we know that he was, he was the, the greatest, uh, according to the scripture, the greatest man in the East. And now he's been reduced to nothing. And his, he has friends come to see him. In fact, his, his friends that we're going we're gonna to talk about, are going to uh, discuss here in just a second, they come and they spend seven days with him. And, and he is in such bad condition that they sit with him for seven days without even speaking. Sometimes that's what we need to do is when we comfort somebody is not speak, uh, uh, give them our input, but just be with them. And that's what his friends did. They did it right. They, say, they came and, and they just said, we're just going to be with you. After seven days, what we see is, um, is the begin to talk. Usually, and, and the way it goes, if you read through Job, Job says something, and then the friends respond. Job says something back, the friends respond again. Okay, that's, and, then, and we see this pattern through all the friends. The first, if you look at this, at this drawing here, you see on the right, that's a Job. Next is um, uh, Eliphaz. And then we're going to see the other friends uh, behind him. So Eliphaz, the Terminite, or the Temanite, was the first uh, person to speak. And this is what he said. He, spoke, he gave three speeches in, in Job. First speech, he said, Job is, not, Job is not prospering, so he must have done something wrong. That was his message. You're not prospering, so obviously you did something wrong. You sinned. His second speech, he says, Job does not fear God. If he did, he would not face such suffering. You've done something wrong. You must not fear God. His third speech, is your not wickedness great? Are, your sins, are not your sins endless? Wow. Wow, that was a, that's a tough, tough word from a friend, huh? His message there is that suffering equals punishment from God. Suffering. If you're suffering, you're being punished by God. This is we're gonna we'll we'll talk about this later. But if this is the, the idea of the doctrine of retribution. That that um, you know that the God immediately will if you do something wrong will punish you for that. All right. But is that the story here? No, that's not at all what has happened here. That's if you if you read what we read and to start with here in, in Job one, that's not what happened. Job was, was uh, according to the scripture, was blameless. 
He feared God, and he turned from evil. But here his friends are saying, obviously, you have sinned, or, or God would not have punished you. All right? So that's Eliphaz, the Temanite, his first friend. His second friend was there with Bildad, the Shuhite. He was the second to speak. He's the, uh, the guy in the blue robe there, throwing dirt on his head um, as they're sitting there. His first speech was this, that Job should repent and all the material things he has lost will be restored. You just repent, everything you've lost, will get, you'll get back. His second speech, God punishes the wicked, and since Job is being punished, he must have done something wrong. Okay, the, the, um, that since we know that God punishes the wicked, that you've done something wrong because you're being punished. And third speech, a person cannot be righteous before God. We'll see in a minute that Job was saying, I'm innocent. I'm innocent, but they're saying, you can't be righteous before God. So one of his kind of takeaway uh, from uh, Bildad is material prosperity is tied to one's righteous behavior. If we do good, God will materially bless us, is the idea here. We do, if we do something wrong or do something bad, then God will punish and, and take, us, take it away. Again, that's, un, that's, that's an unscriptural uh, kind of idea. So, friends one and two, tough, tough friends so far. Friend number three, um, Zophar, the Namathite, said this. He was the third speaker, and he only gave two speeches. First speech was, Job deserved even worse than he got. Know then that God exacts of you less than your guilt deserves. Wow. Joseph, you deserve more than, God, than, than the sufferings that you have now. Just be glad that God didn't give you what you deserve. In the second speech, one who commits wickedness will suffer for it. Again, it's that idea that God is going to... Uh, retribution is coming your way because uh, you've done something wrong and God is, is a God that punishes. We will get what we deserve unless God is merciful. So here we have the three friends who've come to Job. They've come to, to be with him for seven days. They consoled him. They, they just sat with him in silence. And then they begin to talk and give their opinions on why Job is suffering what he's suffering. Again, going back to the, why did this happen? Is it the, is, is on the, kind of the, um, the, on the forefront of what people are thinking here. Now, Job responds to his friends. Now, I, I put these in all, I just a sampling of Job's responses in, in, in order, but they, these were going on to each different speaker. Uh, Job responds in Job 9 with a wish that he could plead his case before God and lamenting the fact that there is no one to intervene on his behalf. He's got these why questions. He wants to know what is going on, but he doesn't know who to go to. Nobody there to plead his case. Job responds in chapter 12 that it is the Lord who brought this suffering upon him. And in chapter 13, maintains his innocence. He says, I know I will be vindicated. Job, Job kind of goes back and forth between this thing that I, 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 I would confess my sins if I knew what they were, but I'm suffering, and, and it must be, this had to have come from God, but he said, I know that God will eventually vindicate me. Job, Job responds that his friends are miserable comforters, which I thought was, was, was great language. 
sometimes I think, how many of us are miserable comforters when our friends and, and family need somebody just to love them and put their arm around them and be with them? And we come and we, what do we bring? We bring our advice. We bring our perspective, our opinions. Sometimes I think we are miserable uh, comforters. Not always, but sometimes we are. And he asked God to intervene on his behalf. And in Job 19, Job responds with a plea to be left alone. How long will you torment me and crush me with words, he says to his friends. He also asks for his friend's pity in verse 21 of 19 and declares that his God is alive and knows all things. God would be the one who judges him fairly, and Job puts his trust in him. So Job, if you, if you read the middle part of the book of Job, Job wavers. Sometimes, he's, he, sometimes he says things that are right on, and sometimes he seems to be bearing off the, on the wrong course, not understanding, continually asking, why is this happening to me? And then a fourth friend shows up. Elihu from the clan of, of Ram shows up. And he's, he, uh, according to most commentaries, he was younger and he's been listening to all this, this discussion that goes on. Okay, but he kind of he brings it together and offers really a, a better perspective. He's the last to speak. And then you get this in Job 32. He focuses his response on rebuking, first his, his focus is on rebuking Job's friends. He says this, he said, none of you have proved Job wrong and you have found no way to refute Job, yet you condemn him. So Elihu says, look, I've heard what you said, you condemn Job, but you can't, you can't point to anything, you can't point to a sin, you can't point to anything that's done that would justify your case for condemning him. And then, but he doesn't stop there. He goes to, he looks at Job and he says, Job, you have tried to justify yourself. That's an error. In Job 33, Elihu turns his attention to Job. He declares Job wrong in saying that he was without any sin and that God would not answer. These are certainly not true. Nobody is without sin. And we do have a God who answers us answers us in his time. In Job 34, Elihu uh, shifts to declaring God's justice. It is unthinkable that, jo- that God would do wrong and that the Almighty would pervert justice. See, what Elihu is trying to do here is to, to set things aright, to set things the way they should be. In fact, um, we, after he speaks, kind of the next progression of things is God shows up. Job has asked God to come and, and to, to answer him face-to-face or directly. And after Elihu speaks, God comes. And this is what he does. And this is in uh, um, chapter 38, verse 1. Now, this, this is amazing. If you go through and you read 38 through about chapter 40, God is speaking to Job. Everybody's listening. And the Lord is saying, the world is so complex that you think that you can understand it, that you question my running of this world. I love this. And then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. You can see there in the picture, they're all sitting there, in the, and God is speaking to them out of the whirlwind. Who is, the, who is, who is that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Words without knowledge. 
Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you will make it known to me. Verse 4. This is, the, this is great. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. As he kind of sarcastically goes at, at Job's thinking here. And his, friend, his friends. On what, and what were its bases sunk, or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all of the sons of God shouted for joy. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? It really goes on forever. He talks about where were you when the, uh, he talks about the animals and the, and the, and the, the sun and all the parts of uh, the little intricate parts of the earth that's so complex that are happening every day. He was saying, Job, you, you have, I have understanding from the upper side, as, as Corey Tinboom says, you only see what? The underside. You see so little. The world is so complex, and you're, yet you, you question me and the way I run the world. So God comes himself and begins to set things aright, not only with Job, but with Job's, friend, Job's friends. Uh, in fact, in Job uh, 42.7, the three friends are rebuked by the Lord, and this is what, they, the, what the Lord says to the three friends. I am angry with you, because you have not spoken the, tr- spoken the truth about me. They spoke to Job out of their, what they believed to be the truth about God, but, but God himself said, no, that, you spoke, uh, uh, you're not spoken the truth about me. That's not who I am. That's not my character. I am just, but I see things from a different level than you do. In Job 42.9, um, the three friends are, re, are not only rebuked, they're commanded to offer burf, burnt, burnt offerings for forgiveness, and that's what they do. They go, and they are forgiven by the Lord. And then we never hear about Elihu uh, is not mentioned again, and it's assumed that what he said was correct. And then uh, he was not rebuked and was not asked to go uh, burn, uh, to offer a uh, burnt offering in this place. So you see, this is a very... Um, there's a lot going on here. The Job, the, 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 the tragedy of Job, of, of losing everything. Why did it happen? His friends come in giving their reasons for what had happened. It's because you sinned. You lost all your possessions because God is punishing you. All this kind of what we would say uh, was, was their, their sense of justice. And then God coming himself and setting them aright. An amazing story. Some essential lessons that we can take from this. The book of Job sets in, sets in relief the tension that often occurs at the intersection of faith and human experience as people deal with suffering that appears to be undeserved and unfair. So this intersection of faith and human experience. When we look at the world and we say, well, that can't be fair because these were, these were righteous people or these were good people. Why are they suffering so, so much? We've all known people like this. We read it, we see it in the news, but we've also known other individuals who, who suffer greatly and we think, why? Why was this happening? Um, it does appear to be undeserved and unfair. And what the interesting thing about Job is, Job wanted to know why he was suffering like he did, and God never reveals anything. It's not known. And we'll, we'll talk about where that leads us in just a few seconds. 
Job's friends evaluated his experience through a theological paradigm that consisted of the doctrine of retribution. So let me ask you to kind of think within yourselves. Um, how often do we do that? We look at somebody on the street or we look at somebody something suffering some tragedy and, go, and, you, and you immediately go to, oh, I wonder what they did. I wonder what they did to suffer that fate. Do we do that? Do we suffer and do we kind of jump in there that, that God is a God of retribution always? Is that, is that the first place that we go? I think we have to be careful with that. Be careful to say, you're suffering. We become like uh, Job's friends when we, go, when we do that. Well, surely you must sin or you wouldn't be like this. We forget that we see the underside, but God sees the upper side. Uh, the accuser asked, does, God, does Job fear God for no reason? He implied that no one ever serves God apart from self-serving reasons. But God said this is not true. He said, look at my, my uh, servant Job. You know, the, the, we, we see this, well, you're just, you're just follow Christ for what he can do for you. Okay, that's not it at all. We, we, we are sinners desperately in need of a Savior. And that's why we come to Christ. And, and uh, God works in our lives. But, but the accuser, Satan, was saying, You're, Job is only serving you, God, because you made him prosperous. You do things for him. And that's not it at all. We serve God uh, because we're sinners. We need a Savior. You know, think back to uh, the crown. God sees the upper side of the tapestry. We see the underside. The underside looks messy. It's, it's, it's not, it's not well-defined because we, have, we, have, we see in part and we know in part. Whereas God um, doesn't see in part. He knows everything. So where do we find hope and comfort? I love this. Scripture proclaims God as the sovereign creator of all things, affirms his providence, declares him to be just, gracious and holy. In times of difficulty and pain, these truths about God must be embraced, even when they are called into question by circumstances that seem incongruent with truths. The biblical answer to suffering is relational rather than cognitive or propositional. What does that mean? It means that um, we may never fully understand suffering. In fact, we ask why. In fact, the Bible is full of people lamenting, why, Lord? Why, Lord? We may never understand it, but what we are called to do is develop this relationship. It's this relationship with our Savior. That's where the answers are found. That's where comfort is found. Maybe not the answer we're looking for, the this is why this happened, but that's where we have to go. As believers, we need to reach in and, and, and not pull away from God, but to lean in, okay? It's not a cognitive thing. I'm not going to get the, the, the answer that I can speak to my friends, maybe, but I have that comfort and hope from following and leaning in to the Lord Jesus Christ. So um, what can we take away from here? One, I hope that you will, we won't be like uh, Job's friends and always have the answer always have the answer to the why question. Give our, give our own truth. Maybe sometime we just need to love them. Sit in silence with them. 
We also, too, need to recognize that we serve a Lord who sees the upper side and we only see the underside. This world is so complex and so big. There's so many things going on. Who are we to say that we understand and comprehend it all? But our comfort comes through pressing into the Lord. So today, as, as uh, you think about the world around us and you're grieved just from watching the news or you have friends and family who are suffering, our, our encouragement is that uh, our comfort and our, and our answer is in relationship with God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray.